Welcome to the Reinforced Running Podcast. My name is Rich Ryan. Today our episode is all about your mental. We spent a lot of time talking about the physical scope of training, but today we are talking about how to use psychology to improve your performance. Our guest today is Dr. Timothy Silvestri. And uh, I don't think I've ever called him Timothy before, but with a doctor in front of it, it just felt right. So uh, Tim is a licensed psychologist who has worked in client-focused therapy for the past two decades. But in more recent years, Tim has been doing work on the mindset of performance. In doing so, he's developed a four-part model to address what he believes is an emerging paradigm shift based on some recent discoveries in areas like neuroscience, neurobiomechanics, and behavioral economics. And basically, he's trying to aid coaches and practitioners to help their athletes and clients uh, to get the next-level results uh, based on scientific research. So uh, personally, I'm going through this model with Tim's help, and this stuff is legit a game-changer. And you will see. You will all see. And also, Tim is one of the best 50-plus Spartan age group athletes in the sport, and he's established himself as one of the top racers in the Northeast region by racking up wins in 2019. So we touch on the sport quite a bit, but we also touch on why you should embrace failure, uh, how a goal-setting technique that you can take and apply in your own season, and how your true aspirations will lead to your best results. So it's real good stuff. And all right, so please rate and review, subscribe. We had a few new reviews drop, which we do appreciate. We do notice, so please keep them coming. And also check the link in the show notes to learn more about Reinforced Running One-on-One Coaching. We are currently filling up spots for the runner and OCR athletes who want to take those results to the next level in 2020. All right. Welcome to the Reinforced Running Podcast. My name is Rich Ryan. I will be your host today, co-hosted today with my main guy, John Williams. John, what's up? Hey, what's up, Rich? Nothing much, man. It's great seeing your face. Oh, always good to see you, buddy. <laughs> and we have super special guest, Tim Silvestri with us. Tim, how you doing today? All right, thanks. And what we got here, was, uh, is that a dog or a cat? In, in, in... This is now a cat. That oh, because there was a dog situation it. before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's animals around. There's animals in Tim's house. Yeah. So today's episode, we're going to get deep into uh, talking about like the brain and and a lot of different ways how you can become a better athlete through uh, things other than just your physical training. But, but, but first, we're going to do a rapid fire rapport round with our guy, Tim. Tim, yeah. what would be one superpower that you would have and why? Oh, man. Superpower I would have. Um Well, there's a famous quote by, uh, I think, the guy at Berkshire Hathaway. I'd want to know when and where I'm going to die so that I know not to be there. (laughs) I think early months or whatever that guy said. I I thought it was going to be a stock related. It's like, I'm going to know what all the future stocks are and just make millions. I swore you were were going to go with mind reading, but – Yeah, no, 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 I would never want to read minds. Can you imagine that? That'd be terrible. All the stuff people think about you. <laughs> maybe on no. command. <laughs> maybe not just yeah. like all the time, like no, the Mel Gibson never. style. But, never. <laughs> um, all right. So BF Skinner or Sigmund Freud? Oh, man. Um, I, I'd say neither easily, but I guess <laughs> I, Freud enough. screwed so much up. I mean, I can't go with him. He did nasal surgery and killed people. That for no reason, like he just had the most whacked out things. 
but a lot of it was cool. And Skinner just transformed everything. So I guess I'd go Freud maybe, but that's a so, tough one. I feel like Freud does have that weird legacy where he, it's like who you think of when it comes to psychology, right? But like, mm-hmm. was he just kind of wacky like 90% of the time and like 10% of his stuff like really resonated or what is his deal? Well, I mean, he, he think of what he contributed. He contributed that there's this non-conscious brain that um, that really informs everything you do and you're not aware of it. And And before that, people hadn't really considered that. I mean, philosophy forever, the definition of philosophy is basically subjectivity. So philosophers had always known everything comes back to a subjective experience. But Freud brought that into like the whole Freudian slip, you know, that that wasn't a slip that's indicative of something that richeting around in your chair uncomfortably is evidence of something. And I think when we get to some of the model that I'll I'll even put out there later, like the fact that there's missing parts of yourself that you let go of, like uh, uh, that you need to reincorporate back into yourself. You could honestly say Freud was talking about stuff like that forever. Um, and and before him, it, it hadn't been mainstream, really, arguably. I think there were other Freuds out there that were talking like this. but Yeah, I don't think I knew that much. And like people still talk about that a lot. John, did you take Psych 101 at St. Joe's? I took what I had to take. <laughs> no no and i don't actually i don't know if psychology was part of a prereq it um, wasn't unless you were going into like yeah, the no, sciences no. or you were going to uh, I, I thought you were going with philosophy or something like that but yeah i think you had to take a little bit of philosophy but oh we had to take a bunch at st joe's tim it's a jesuit institution so they believe yeah, in yeah. well-rounded education so that means yeah. you got to take three theologies and three philosophies nice. that's like ridiculous it was that many it was that many i just remember struggling through a couple of those and being that's good stuff man I yeah, like the I, I like the that. philosophy. Theology yeah. got I don't know, after a while it starts to all kind of sound the same and just kind of <laughs> Oh man, you're killing work, me. Work around in circles. <laughs> you're killing me. Um, <laughs> I got to take a film class in theology one time, so that was Oh, uh, my was film great. my film class was great. That was the best class yeah, I ever. Yeah, that would think. be cool. We should note that Tim is a professor in uh, psychology and has a PhD as well. Is that what your uh, PhD is in or what is exactly Yeah, exactly in counseling psychology. Yeah, gotcha. So that's why we asked the Freud versus Skinner. Uh, I didn't. John might have thoughts on Freud versus Skinner as well, but right now I want to know Zero. Tim, what it, <laughs> No thoughts. I want to know Tim. What is your favorite? Uh, if you were to have to sing karaoke, what are you going with? Oh man! So my favorite band is the Avett Brothers, North Carolina. Mm. Mm, love it. And, and uh, I would go with. Um, uh indolence um i'm blanking on the name of the song but uh talk of indolence something like that you could sing it if you i could it karaoke. <laughs> I'd, I'd rather not but they are so good you ever see them live yeah they're amazing yeah they're and then my guilty pleasure one would either be uh bon jovi i think i can do a little bit of a bon jovi voice and then uh, if I really want to go balls out, it would be Bon Jovi, Jennifer Nettles, because I think I could hit the female high notes and then switch both. back to Bon Jovi. <laughs> yeah, that would be my like drunken jam. And see, you kind of you have to play to the crowd. If you put some Avett Brothers on for karaoke, I don't think people are yeah. really gonna gonna be digging it. But if you yeah. put Bon Jovi on, and if you put With Jennifer, Jennifer Nettles, on Nettles and, hit it, and I start dancing around like the two, yeah, forget it. Right? I think, I think that's yeah. the answer. Bringing down the house. 
And so, Tim, if you had realistic or not realistic, and I don't like Bon Jovi, by the way, just so we get that out. Everybody, everybody, like (laughs) we'll make sure to put that in the show notes, and just so we know, Tim is not a Bon Jovi fan. Just likes Bon Jovi karaoke. Um, So, Tim, if you had your perfect day, it, it doesn't have to be realistic. It could be however you want to craft it. What would that look like? Up on a mountain, somewhere up on a mountain, just hauling ass up on a mountain. That's the perfect day. Would you have a mountain? Like, have you uh, traveled much to like mountain ranges or mountain sites? A little bit. I mean, uh, Grand Teton stand out as just spectacular. I haven't climbed up to the top of it or anything. I don't even know if there's a trail to the top. It's a big glacier at the top, I think. But um, yeah, so there's some beautiful mountains I've seen. Uh, the mountain by my house, that's just my home mountain. So little South mountain in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Uh, and I know that thing like the back of my hand. Um, nice. That's perfect. And it leads us into the next question as well. Cause Tim, you are a highly accomplished obstacle course race athlete. So if you had to add one thing into OCR, what would it be? Uh, one thing into OCR, um, I like the way it is. I mean, people are getting pissed about they're turning into a race, but I like that they're doing it. It it pressures you to become better and better. I guess if there is one thing, maybe a little, I I remember your episode with Mark Batras and talking about athleticism. Was it Mark or was it, no, it might've been Kempson. Um, Kempson Um, talked about that a lot. So did um, Kempson was about the athletics, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's doing the engineering, Kempson engineering. So maybe some more athleticism to really push you to do whacked out things, but I don't know. It's pretty athletic as it is. Yeah, I agree. I like it too. Let's let's just keep yeah. it going. Um, John, any any rapport questions? Like, I mean, is, is the fire off questions? Fire one off. I I have I'm I have one that maybe we'll we'll ask later. It's been bugging me since the last time I talked to Tim. All right. um, and, and that, it's it's a nature versus nurture question, and I just nice. <laughs> go for it. I'm ready. Is it? Is this going to derail the? Po- is this will be the entire podcast yeah. of nature nurture? Well, no, no, and that's why I, I don't. I'm going to give Tim an opportunity to to explain it. I'm not going to get bogged down on it. I, I just find it super fascinating. I'm going to get bogged down on it. You know, I think John's bogged already. But it, but it, it, mud. It, but it's always going to be, I think it's always going to be a question in the human race is the nature versus nurture question. And I think that's a lot of what we're going to be touching on and why, and what's one of the reasons why I really love what Tim is going to have to talk to us about, because it really touches on that. And it, at the very, the, the very least, it, it challenges that in, in my mind the most is like, you know, there's always this struggle between you know, or struggle with ourselves as to, you know, what we're capable of. And I think that that's really um, at the heart of what we're going to be talking about. Um, yeah. So the nature versus nurture has been solved though. And this woman, she's now retired uh, professor at UCLA Hammond. And um, what she demonstrated and, and the personality researchers have demonstrated this as well, just to put it on an easy level, which is extroverts, right? which is more of a temperament, you're kind of born more introverted or more extroverted. Mm -hmm. Um, And we can see some of the genetic constitution for that uh, introversion, especially with like conscientiousness that shows up in your amygdala and stuff like this. So 
but extroverts are more likely to seek out extroverted environments, making them better at being extroverted, which makes them seek out more extroverted environments. And it they intertwine. You cannot separate nature nurture because they fold into each other. Um, and Hammond demonstrated that depression children who grow up in a depressed household basically practice depression their whole life. Yeah. They get taught the nuances of depression and therefore they're more vulnerable to depression. And to call that nature is ludicrous. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you, you cannot separate them. Um, there are times when it's going to be more cleanly one versus the other, but those are more exceptions than the rule. The rule is by far, they fold into each other. But has somebody studied it at the level, like the physiological and physical mm-hmm. level? Yep. They, they do. They fold into each other. Yeah. Now, on the extremes, a 10% low, 10% high of something, you would see an almost perfect correlation between childhood temperament, which is more nature, and adult personality, which you would think is more nurture. But in that middle 80%, there's almost a perfect zero correlation between childhood temperament and adult personality in other words your environment your culture your experiences change who you are over time so if you're talking those extreme ends nurture is going to nature is going to be a little more dominant than the middle 80 percent where nurture is going to be more dominant but they really end up folding into each other quite well Hmm, that's interesting did you guys see that movie the uh, identical strangers you see that one? It was about like the triplets no. that were separated at birth. No. no, it's awesome. It's such a it's yeah. a documentary. It's so good, and it's a it just essentially reflects exactly what you said, but it was done to people, which is kind of kind of messed mm-hmm. up. Um, all right, well, Tim, you passed the report round. Awesome job. So, uh, <laughs> just to give the listeners a little bit more of an idea of who you are, just kind of let us know what you got going on as far as performance, what you're doing professionally and what you're doing um, athletically as well. Yeah, cool. So let me get one elephant out of the room. I've been told I have a face that's perfect for radio, uh, <laughs> right? But I'm but really the, the bad part of that is I also have a horrible voice for radio and I have a vocal injury that sometimes my voice cracks and I sound like a 12 year old boy. Um, and from so much public speaking that I do. So <laughs> you'll hear that at times, which is great when I'm speaking to a, a packed auditorium of high school kids and my voice cracks. I bet they and love that. And you can that. see the chuckling just ripple through the audience. And they sound like a 12 year old. So yeah, so uh, there's that. But um, so a little about me, you, you mentioned some of it, but let me just give you the quick rundown and it'll kind of segue into uh, our topic, which is, so I'm a single dad, I'm 50 years old, a single dad. I have a PhD in counseling psychology from Lehigh and I did my residency at University of Pennsylvania. Um, I'm a consultant and a speaker. Uh, um, I have a pretty demanding job. I'm a director of a counseling center where, you know, sometimes we legitimately are making some life and death decisions about do we hospitalize someone or let them go. Um, And uh, on the surface, our team's developed a really cool thing where my dog's kind of talking in background. (laughs) A really cool thing, which is we, as far as I know from people I've spoken to, we have one of the highest utilization rates in the country and one of the lowest uh, wait times between phone call and first session. 
And that's, that's quite a feat to pull off both of those. Um, and, and so, and then as you said, I'm an OCR athlete, you said highly accomplished. I would argue vociferously against that. <laughs> that's a little extreme, but you know, I, I have done some cool things, but I would just say this. So what I just mentioned is about 10% of the truth. The, the 90% of the truth is that I've been an absolute and utter failure my whole life. So, you know, it took me, I decided when I was 46, by the time I'm 50, I want to be one of the top 50 plus in OCR. It took me four years of absolute miserable quantifiable failure. I remember races where I failed seven obstacles and did over 200 burpees. In a, in a super, in an eight-mile race. I mean, <laughs> failure after failure. My first two years as director, I was called a micromanager, a jerk. I mean, and I, and I had studied leadership. I thought I was ready for this. I mean, an absolute failure. Um, and so, you know, we, we give these kind of rap sheets of our successes. It's true, but it's only really 10% of the story. It's an incomplete story. The, the real story is failure. And so um, my new stuff that I've been working on for 20 years and testing it over time uh, that we're launching this spring is the, the, the CERT model that we're going to talk about in part today is really about that. It's, it's not about handling failure it, or coping with it. It's really about making failure the one constant. Failure is ubiquitous. It's 99.999 infinity percent of the, the, the road. And so once you kind of get into the right model, um, failure becomes so ubiquitous, it's, it's not even an, uh, present. It's, it's not a thing anymore. Um, and so, you know, if I just gave you my rap sheet, it sounds like, oh, wow, that guy's kind of successful. But that's just not true. It's, it's, it, there's been just nothing but failure all along the way. That's a little bit of who I am. Voice cracking and all. <laughs> and so like, <laughs> was this something that you had come to realize over the time? Like the, the, it's kind of like the language that we use, right? Like, like what it is to be successful or what are your goals? What are your aspirations that we'll talk about later? But like, it's always positive and forward. But when you think about it, like the data, if you look back at it, it is definitely deep in failure. So like, was it something that you had been thinking about a lot or what made you kind of shift this like conversation that you've been having? Um, so I, I had long been, you know, studying this hard and, and trying to get to just the, the primary elements of this whole thing. And so you're going to hear like process rather than outcome is with a primary element. Uh, but process is all about trying and trying again and trying again. And, you know, un until you finally get it, uh, I've been trying for, I don't know how many months now to get a, a muscle up. I almost had it today. It was the closest <laughs> I ever got. Um, but I mean, I've just tried miserably and failed miserably at it and watch YouTube after YouTube video. Uh, so I always considered that failure, but I realized I was on or a uh, process, but I realized I was onto something with failure recently 
when I told my daughters that um, someone wanted me to do uh, a, a presentation on failure, and I was like, what do you think, girls? And my 16-year-old daughters, now they would usually, the, the proper response is, dad, that's lame. Their eyes lit up and they're, they didn't even let me finish. They go, dad, that is a, that you need to do that. Kids don't know, they can't handle failure. And I was like, whoa, this is something that as a word, just a word is tapping into something big here. And so it, it really kind of solidified a big component of the CERT model I've developed, which is, I think people get just taken down by failure as well as some other elements. And what is it about failure? Cause it sounds awful. Like the word sounds terrible. And then when you were even like saying it about yourself, I was like, ah, that's not to say it like that. Like it just doesn't yeah, seem right? like a, like a positive thing to say and, and um, do And it seems like we're afraid of it. Right. Like, and if it, it like taking risks leads to potential failure. So like, don't even try kind of, idea like why is it failure been turned this way like why do people have this idea right and so you know you think like everything's about oh this is a model for success that i developed and people are going to call it a success model but it's really not because you 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 got to go into the cave you know you, you in order to come out of it to get to success so um it it's it's what's funny to me is and and you have access to a lot of elites and, and really successful people on your podcast and stuff. Um, and if you ask a an, an accomplished person, you ask them about their failures and to just give them space to talk about. It. Their eyes will light up like Times Square and they will get excited and they'll start rattling off all their failures. They're proud of that stuff because they know like that's what they had to overcome and it wasn't easy and they had to try over and over again. They get excited. When you talk to someone who's not accomplishing much, they will feel shame. They will hide it. They will work around it. They will minimize it. They will avoid it. They can't go there because they have so much shame. But accomplished people, they, that's all they want to talk about. They love talking about failure. Because that's the truth of it. And that's what we're proud of. When I started OCR, right, I could barely do a pull-up. And I said, I'm going to commit to four years of this so that I can achieve something in it. What if four years was wasted and I never did anything with it, right? Like what a dumb thing to do at 46 (laughs) to pursue some outlandish goal where you're running up mountains and down mountains and you're going to do that at age 50, you know, that's stupid. But failure was the whole process. I, I just, failure was fine. It, it was like, cool, I failed today. And think of how good you feel in a workout when you take do push-ups to failure, right? Like we're, we seek out failure. It's amazing that we look at it negatively and it's a bad word. Oh, don't be so hard on yourself. Yeah, it, it, you know? it's it's a it's a very relative conversation, and that's really where you know. So, like, take your journey for instance. Like along the way, you know, the failure only comes from that benchmark you set yourself at that point, right? So, you know, is it does it boil down to just every little thing that you're doing? 
and at what point, like, how do you define it within what you're talking about? Is it like just, just our, did, did you fail this one activity or is it, are you defining it by a, spe- a specific goal? Well, or? I mean, both, right? It, it's micro failures, but as an OCR athlete, I was a macro big time suck fest. I sucked. You know what I mean? So it was like a total failure. I mean, so there's those macro levels too, where I was getting my doors blown off. Um, and it, it was just not pretty, you know, and, and then, and then it's not the really a failure to- at that point because you're, it's a process to get to a certain point. Right. So like, but imagine two years in, imagine three years in, Right, like three years in, I'm still, I haven't done anything, mm-hmm. and I just got off course, and I I just did 210 burpees after three years of weight training, and I still failed at something like the monkey bars or something, you know that that, that I should just be blowing through. Um, mm-hmm. I that hurts, man. I mean, that yeah. really can knock you down and be like three years and I fail monkey bars. What? I'm terrible. Yeah. <laughs> and to keep going and, and now take it, take it at your kind of level, the two, the levels that you two run at, like you're trying to get a, a sub 15, 5k and a year later, you're still not going sub 15 or sub 14 or whatever it is you're trying to do at your level that hurts man and it 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 just makes you feel like i'll never get there i'm just not fast enough and that's not correct yeah you just haven't found the right process to get you there and there's something missing and that's where i come in with some of the psychology exactly and like a lot of times it is when people have these failures or shortcomings they just go back to the drawing board and try to okay let me do 400s this time let me do 200s this time whatever Mm -hmm. it is let me get a weighted vest um and try something like that but um from the psychology or they switch rich or they switch all together or they just they're like enough ocr i'm going to do trail racing enough trail racing i'm going to do stadium enough stadium i'm going to and they just keep switching looking for the thing they're good at Mm. rather than owning you're going to suck at this until you figure out the right process that gets you to be great at this. And th- that's interesting when you were saying about the people who are, would be quote unquote successful, how they're proud of their failures because it's, they, it wasn't given to them. And, and people look at it who try and don't succeed right away that the people who are successful are, were given this. They're already yeah. talented. They already have what these tangible intangibles that I don't have. And they want to let you know that, no, I worked harder than you did. I figured it out. I, I, I persevered through it all. Um, exactly. Exactly. And, and with like the psychology aspect coming from it, then outside of like the physical, like tell us a little bit about that. You said people might refer to this as like a success model, but how are you really kind of um, f- framing what you have and, and kind of give us like the, uh, like the a big overarching view of what uh, this model is. Yeah. So I, I believe, and I've, you know, talking about this before, but I believe that the the field of coaching and therapy and other things are really on the uh, doorstep of a total paradigm shift. And to me, the message to all to everyone is kind of get ready. We're we're in store for a paradigm shift, and you're either going to know your stuff and be part of it and help help write it as we go, 
or you're going to be left behind. And it's an exciting moment. Like we all get to participate in, and write it. Um, so join us, you know, sign, uh, not sign on to my model or anything, but do it yourself too. But you're going to help write it. And, and I'm excited about that. So maybe to just to introduce the model would be helpful. And then yeah. I'll circle back to your question uh, because it kind of fits in with that. So the, the CERT model is, is kind of four elements, which is, and the total model goes into other tracks as well, but let's just start with track one, the CERT model. So CERT is an acronym for commit to commitment. I'm going to say them and then I'm going to circle back and, and explain them a little bit. Commit to commitment. Uh, e is engage process, not outcome. Uh, R is respect for knowledge, not talent. And T is trust, view all things through a lens of trust. And I think that is a major paradigm shift that coaches just aren't tapping into yet and, and need to be because it's a real breakthrough. Um, so let, let's go back to it. Um, commit to commitment is you have to be honest with who you are, what you, what, you're, what you got, where you are right now. And you need to assert a timeline to get to the place you want to go that is uh, an honest timeline. So commit to commitment is more time-based than some outcome. And so when I said, okay, I could barely do a pull-up, this is going to, you know, hang out, everybody. This is going to take a while. Um, I figured it would take me four years. And most people, for the first thing they go for, does take about four years. Now, lucky for mm. all of you, you committed to your first thing at age 12. Mm. I hadn't. I never fully committed. So here I am, 46, having never fully committed to something. And I had to do my first round at 46, and it took four years, exactly like the model predicts. Yeah. You, you, had a very, you had a pretty finite commitment, right? Or a finite thing you were committed to. I, I mean commit to the fullest extent. Like, yes, I got a PhD, but I had people around me. Like, I almost couldn't. I couldn't not graduate because there was people around me and there was a system and all I had to do is do each step that they told me to do and I would get a PhD. I mean, committing like you showing up and you figuring it out and you, you seeking coaches and, and finding a coach and all that I had to do. Rich has been my coach. Like I had to find him. I had to sign on. I wasn't coachable at first. And then I had to turn myself into being coachable. This true, Rich. Four years. This true. Uh, yeah. There, there are parts. Did he make you earn, earn, earn your money there? <laughs> he, I did. He figured I it out. Coachable. I wasn't coachable, and part of uh, the process for me was becoming coachable. So commit to commitment, and that's usually kind of a time-based thing. You're not going to run a Boston Marathon time. If you haven't never run before, it's going to take longer than three months. Just accept that. And this is this is important, right? And and the commitment part. And you already we already mentioned how people will will change and will bail mm -hmm. off of things. Where did like the four years come from? And like, how do you feel people miss the mark on this one? Is it is it that they just overestimate the how how fast they'll improve, or they just are just not ready to put the required amount of time toward it well the the four elements of it are mutually inclusive you have to have all four of them and when you don't you you just see failure and it just eats you alive 
and eventually you switch because you just figure it's talent and I don't have the talent. So I, I should switch. If you saw me for three years and nine months, you would say he doesn't have the talent. You know, now people are like, oh, he's talented. You know, it, it's ridiculous. So let's keep going. So because we'll answer some of that along the way. So okay. E, uh, E for cert is engage process, not outcome. People keep focusing on outcome. Um, I always say to people, games are like cats. They show up when the hell they want. You know, they, they're not on command like dogs. And so when you keep focusing on outcomes, you're focusing on, oh, I need this linear gain, right? Um, gains don't do that. Gains, I go, I, I get some, uh, what do you call it, deadlift. And I'm like, oh, look at that gain. I can't wait to do that next week. I'm going to go up 10 pounds. Meanwhile, next week, I got to go down 20 pounds because I just can't handle the weight that week. And then I do a lower weight for three weeks and suddenly I go up 30 pounds it, out of nowhere and I can handle it with ease. Gains are like mysterious little buggers, you know, and, and they just show up when they want. So it's process, not outcome. And you just keep accepting process, process, process. Hmm. You know how many days I don't want to get up at sometimes 350, 320, 410. These are hard times to get up. and then. Do my workout and then, you know, Rich, you'll give me a workout and it's 40 minutes. Bullshit, man. That workout <laughs> takes me an hour and 10 minutes. You know what I mean? And it's like, I got to prepare for that and then go and do a demanding job. I don't want to do that. And I had to figure out and fail at getting up early enough to do it. I had to fail a bunch of times and then figure out how to get my butt out of bed at 4 a.m. Was it the I six, finally was did. It the, uh, the Sixers that had the uh, the hashtag that was like trust the process or trust the process, man. Yeah, get, yeah, real, yeah. get really, really bad. And they used that to kind of just make sure people would still yeah. buy buy tickets while, yeah. they were, while they were terrible. They're good but now. They were right. Yeah, but they the are. Process. And, and, and I think that's my point is that uh, this is one of the hardest things as an athlete or really just as, as human beings to, you know, just that, that grind. And, and just if you, when you don't see those improvements, um, just like they say, when you're on a diet, you shouldn't weigh yourself every day. You know, it's like, it, cause it'll drive you crazy. You know, if you weigh, weigh yourself every couple of weeks or once a month or something, you're going to see a little bit more of, of the result. And it's going to make you feel psychologically a little bit better about all the sacrifices you've been making. And I think running is a lot like that too, is it's just, sometimes it just feels like you're going backwards and you feel like you're stale or you're just not, you're just not making the improvements that you, that you feel line up with those, those sacrifices. Um, so yeah. I, you know, commit, getting somebody to really buy into that is, is not a, an easy task. And obviously I, I think that um, I, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm speaking for myself as well. I just think it's just hard for all of us to to see it, it that way. Psycho, it's psychologically, emotionally. Let's say emotionally hard. Yeah. So we have commit to commitment. We have engaged the process, not the outcome. R is respect for knowledge, not talent. Um, and I, you know, I have a vast amount of when I see someone uh, do well, I don't just say, "Oh, they're talented." I automatically know. Like, Rich, when, when I see you win a race, I know that that's not talent, that you worked your ass off to build such a strong knowledge base to build the right process that led to that outcome. Hmm. And, and that's huge, whereas other people just automatically see talent. 
Or when they see themselves fail, they say, I don't have the talent rather than what piece of knowledge am I missing that is resulting in the performance I had today? I need to figure out that knowledge and turn that into process because I'm committed to this for four years, come hell or high water. So failing is not an option. I, I'm going to do this. So I need to figure out more knowledge because my performance isn't where it needs to be. Right. And so there that they all lead into it. And with, with, with the knowledge, like how do you recommend people like seek that out? Like, is that something that is like a reflective practice or like seeking out a coach or expert or just like reading more? Like where yeah. would people kind of find this? Cause I think that is something that, that is missing for people a lot. It's like, Oh, if I knew how to do it, I would do it. But it's well, a matter John of and I were talking about, for example, your podcast and how sometimes listeners drop off as the time goes longer and longer. Mm-hmm. And I said, is there anyone who's listened to the whole thing? And he's like, yeah, you know, one or two or something. Right. I'm yeah. like, guess who, who, guess who that guy is me. Yeah. <laughs> Whoever is left that listened to the whole podcast. If there's only one, that was me. That's you. <laughs> That's me. I listen to everyone and I listen to the whole thing. Um, that probably and, is probably more than one or two, time. right, Rich? I mean, now, I mean, I don't I, I, don't want our I don't want our listeners to get the wrong idea. <laughs> we should stay all the way to the end. It's always a gem. There is, man. Are you sure to listen to the end when we talk about yeah. <laughs> the, yeah, the secrets of training happens at the very, very end of every single episode? So I probably uh, plug through 30 books a year. Not quite nice. one a week, but, you know, that's a I, YouTube videos constantly. I spend half my training time li- learning. Um, and then the other thing you do is, so, you know, if you're a beginner and you want to be in shape, go to a group fitness class, big deal, right? Like just move. You want to excel, you got to get a coach. You have to be trained by someone who knows their stuff. And then if, if you want to go to the top echelon, then you really need a specific coach who's going to delve into specifically you. And that's some of the cert model where we go to. And when we get to the second track about the missing piece of yourself, Mm. now we're in the real, there are so many athletes out there who are 20th and 30th in the world and whatever, that they need a coach who's going to dive into the specifics of them to get to that top spot. Um, and, And so that's knowledge. And so when I when I went through this launch of of this new kind of uh, endeavor I'm on, the first thing I did was sign on to a really great coach. Um, her name's Kim Kelty. Look her up. She's phenomenal. She's just a complete uh, amazing, and her knowledge base is huge. I'm not going to do this alone. And so this guy Erickson wrote a book called Peak. P-E-A-K. And he his, his research, 30 years of research clearly shows that in order to get better, you have to be trained by someone who knows a ton more than you or else you cannot improve. So it's all about knowledge. And when you look at, there's this thing called the default human ceiling. So if you just practice on your own, you will hit what's called the default human ceiling. You'll be decent. You'll run a 1940 to 5k you know breaking 20 which is pretty good yeah but 
that's where you stop. And then there's this huge gap between those people and the people running 15 minute 5Ks, the huge gap. And what accounts for that gap is not talent. What accounts for that gap is a huge knowledge base. They know nutrition and stretching and they work their glutes. Do you know how many amateur athletes have weak glutes? I I, I mean, it's ubiquitous throughout modern society, weak glutes, right? Uh, How are you going to be an athlete with half a body? You you just can't. Um, So knowledge is everything, man. It's huge. And you want to view the the world through knowledge, not talent. Hmm. And then lastly is uh, uh, T, trust, view all things through a lens of trust. And that's huge. And that's one low-hanging fruit that coaches and therapists, for that fact, aren't tapping into. So when you do a workout, when I do a workout, I'm doing a workout not so I could see some gain. I'm doing a workout so that I can trust that I can do that thing. And therefore, when pushed to the red line or pushed to the brink, I've seen, I've witnessed myself doing that. Other sports psychologists talk about trust too. Brene Brown talks about trust. Everyone's talking about trust. The research is clear on this. Certainly, I'm not trying to say like this is my idea by any means. But trust is huge. And so view all things through a lens of trust. And what I find is, take Faye, uh, Faye Stenning. How can she trust, this is the conundrum, how can she trust that she can beat Lindsay and now Nicole uh, Miracle and Lindsay Webster? How can she trust that she can beat them when she hasn't beaten them yet? Right? So when, when, when she gets pressed against the wall and they start gapping, putting a gap between her and them, she has no reason to physically trust that she can beat them until she does it. But if you notice Nicole Miracle, she kept inching closer to Lindsay, right? She kept, I, I bet you if I interviewed her, I would show you, and she, I, I, I'm not saying she would speak the same language I am, but I'm, I would show you that she incrementally gave herself reasons to trust that she will someday beat Lindsay or she is competitive with Lindsay. And she slowly incrementally stretched towards that. And I bet you she did it outside and she did workouts that gave her that trust. And and that was one thing that first time we spoke that really I like latched onto because it was kind of like a light went off in my in my brain. And and you and I working together is a good example of that, like how you had an idea of how far you needed to run before I thought you were physically ready to do that. So yeah. as from a coaching perspective, we're kind of like towing that line is like, what is it that makes sense to help you? get better and recover and continue on this path versus what is it that you need? Like, John, I'm sure you have people who are training for a marathon who want to run 22, 24, 26. Yeah. That's the first thing that comes to my mind. And, and I, and I, I can totally relate to why they're thinking that and, uh, and I can respect it and it makes perfect sense. Um, and it's hard to explain to somebody that physiologically it's not the best thing for them. Mm-hmm. Right. And when mentally they're like, well, if I don't, if I don't think I can do it, like, how am I going to do it on race day? Which kind of goes back to the trust. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So how, so with all these things working together that way, how, how would somebody be able to 
trust that they can do something that they've never done before. Like after like a marathon, for example, like they've done 20 miles, they need to do six more. Their 20 was really hard and it's race day in four weeks. So it's time to taper and go like what, like how do people like with all these things connected, then how would people be able to trust that? Yeah, so uh, you you want to have major conversations about it and figure out what do they trust and what don't don't they trust heading into a major race. Um, that would be one, you, you, and that's again that's when we get into the highly personal. Um, but with that, um, I think coaches could do better at explaining why these workouts do translate over. But athletes have to do a better job of listening because <laughs> coaches often do explain and athletes aren't listening um, of why these things are going to translate over. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, for example, uh, Mafratone has a chart that says if you run a five mile at this heart rate, I know you all aren't big heart rate fans, but if you run a five mile at this heart rate, in this time, it translates over to this time in a 5k, Mm -hmm. you know, and he has data to prove those things. So why should you trust five miles at seven minute mile will translate into an 1840? Because the tables have some credibility to it. And people have spent a lot of time working this out. Um, Yeah, go ahead. I was just saying we work off tables that aren't necessarily heart rate, like the Jack Daniels table. It's just a bunch, a huge data set of what people have run in one distance and how that would translate to a separate, mm-hmm. a separate distance. Yeah. Um, so one, one piece of thing that I did was I went to blue mountain, a, a mountain by my house. Uh, that's where Pomerden, this Pomerden Spartan is. Uh, and, and I knew in order to compete, I knew I needed to be able to run up that entire mountain. And so it took me four tries of failure, but I eventually, I am able to run up that mountain without stopping. And I mean, a like, of a mountain too. <laughs> yeah, it is a hard mountain, right? And, and I mean, run, not like baby shuffle. I mean, run, you know, not to the elite level that you all crazies do, but <laughs> the age group version of running up it. It's not baby stepping where you could walk faster. Um, it took me four tries, but I eventually did it. And that told me I'm, I'm capable of, hard mountain runs. And I knew heading into Palmerton that I was poised to be top three. And I won that one. But I I knew, I trusted, I watched myself run up that mountain. I knew I could do it. That was, that was workouts to build trust, not to just be in better shape. Because it doesn't matter how much shape you're in, you're going to hit a red line point and your brain is going to say, stop you're you're you could die just slow down and you have a choice to slow down but when you've witnessed yourself doing it there's no more choice i don't need to slow down i've done this before okay so is it entirely objective or can it be subjective as well just like no it's got to be objective because that's so but you're constantly doing things that you don't believe that you can do so where does where does the trust and the whole Mm -hmm. Like, so like, for instance, like, you know, you, you win a race that you've never won before that happens all the time. Right. So like, how do you, in that moment, 
Like where does, does the trust, does the trust just not exist? Like when, when that's the goal? Um, I, I tend not to use it as comparison, like winning a race. I don't know who was in the race, but doing something hard, like running up an entire mountain. Yeah. That's yeah. yeah that, that I can totally. And again, like just going back and just thinking about like, you know, some of the things that even just at a personal level that I am trying to relate to is that, you know, obviously, and thinking of some of the, the accomplishments that happen in our sport and like track and field. Um, the, the perfect one I think that I'm thinking of is really the four minute mile when mm-hmm. we finally broke it, like the, the floodgates opened up, right? Yeah. Now people, the, the, that mental side, they trusted that somebody could do it and whether yeah. it was them or not, it was just like this trust of the human. Yeah, exactly. The race could do it. Cause I think for a while there, they, they, people were really in doubt as to whether it was even possible. I mean, I think, I think some people thought that you would die if you broke a four yeah. minute mile, like your heart it would explode did. or something, <laughs> something nuts. Yeah. So, you know, I just, I'm just trying to just kind of give it a little bit more of a perspective and just trying to understand it. But from the objective side of it, it makes, it makes perfect sense. But I also think from a coaching perspective, I can see saying, Hey, look, you know, let's say the goal is to run a four minute mile, right. Um, or under four minutes, you might not, you're not gonna have them try and do a four minute mile in practice, but you could maybe have them do like an 800 and 155 and then a bunch of 200s and like 28 and be like, Hey, look, you did this low rest, like this translates and Hey, look, so-and-so who ran 355, this is the same workout he did before he ran 358 or, 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 you know, so I guess I'm just trying to think of like, how can you, maybe there's ways that you can kind of take the subject, the objective things and not necessarily like having had to have done them but like translate them into like whether tables or all these other things and just try to build that trust with the athlete um that they you're you're nailing it yeah you're nailing it john and and what i would just say is coaches should be talking about at to athletes what do you need to see to trust that you could win this race and then, and then you start working together because some of the stuff that they say they need to see to trust that they could win the race are they're ridiculous. Like, I need to run thirty miles to know that I can run twenty six miles. Like, it, what you know? So you have to help them, but that's a conversation a coach and an athlete should be having. What do you need to trust that you are a stud? <laughs> you know, and work through it together. Because they're going to have some things that, for whatever reason, they just need that thing, even if it's irrational. I'm trying to get rid of my dog here. Um, <laughs> trying, even though it's irrational, but they just need that one thing, and, and it's okay to give it to them because it, it in part makes sense. Yeah, and, and there's also the idea that there's no reason why you couldn't gain that trust within the race itself. You know, you get to a certain point. That's a bad time to get it. It is. It is. But like, but I actually, I'm just thinking like, you know, for me, you go out to a race and like, I've said to myself, like, Hey, I'm just going to put myself in the position where I'm like there. Right. Oh, right. Right. No. And I did that once. Yeah. And like, you know, so like there's a mile to go, you want to be within striking distance. And then that's when maybe you're like, Oh wow. Like I have this extra gear. Like now I trust that I can do it. And then you go. And yep. up to that very, very point in the race, maybe you didn't have that trust. You just 
for whatever reason decided like, Hey, look, you know, I, I think I can do this, but like, I need to put myself in a position. So, you know, get yourself in in the marathon to mile 24 and then reevaluate. And then you start to smell the finish line a little bit and you can kind of like make those decisions. Um, Another cool one that I needed that I used was um, uh, after Palmerton, literally the next morning I I couldn't do a pull up and I could barely walk. And I said, I need, I'm running a sprint today. And the reason I ran the sprint the next day and I ended up, I think, fourth in the open was I needed to prove to myself that I could run the next day so that I could trust that I was on par with all those sickos who do these things back to back because <laughs> I wasn't sick enough. And I ended up, as soon as the, the race started, all the cobwebs got shaken off and I ran like a bastard. You know, I just ran hard and I, 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 didn't fail obstacles and magically it happened. Yeah. You know, and, and I did that to forge trust that I could come back and do it the next day, not for the accomplishment. Hmm. So when you get the whole model together, it's commit to commitment, engage process, not outcome, uh, uh, knowledge, not uh, respect, knowledge, not talent. And, view all things through a lens of trust. They're all mutually inclusive. And what it does is create a badass person who doesn't even see failure. It, it's not even a relevant concept. Um, and they, they stick to it. And the whole reason that the second track of this whole thing is to try to figure out what your true aspiration is. And that's the second part that we haven't even gone into that we won't have much time for, but just to introduce it, when I work with athletes or or top performers, I want to listen to what is their true aspiration. And I can tell you that everyone I've studied who really accomplishes something that is just phenomenal out of this world, from Richard Branson to David Goggins to, I mean, these type of people, the thing they broke through on and just transformed the world with is the exact opposite of the biggest missing piece of their autobiography. So that becomes their true aspiration. And my story is this. I was a decent athlete. I ran, I was captain of my cross country team in college in division three and blah, blah, blah. I really partied my way through college, not really focused on running, but Growing up, I was best friends with the leading all-time leading scorer of our basketball team. I was good friends with the number two wrestler in the state. Uh, my best friend was the number two pitcher on our high school team. And I, and I couldn't even walk on the field for tryouts because coaches would just see, oh, you're short, you're done. I, I'm not going to let you try out. I was always on an outsider looking in. The second outsider looking in was I had an uncle who was a very big outdoorsman and I just was in awe of him because I was a city, New Jersey guy, didn't know anything about a mountain. It was a piece of me that was missing. I was an incomplete person because I felt those missing pieces. I was an outsider looking in. Not surprising, what was my first breakthrough? OCR, right? Athlete outside, up mountains. That for me was so cool. 
I was willing, it was such a cool aspiration. I was willing to commit four years of my life with no guarantee I would actually do anything with it. And once I busted through that first thing for me late in life, most of you do it in your 20s, teens. Some of us never do it. But once I busted through that first thing, then I picked off a second thing, leader. Now I'm picking off a third thing, getting this information out where it can help people. Um, onward it goes. And I can tell you every success story I've ever read, they did the same process. They had this aspiration. Look at Goggins. I don't know if you know his story, David Goggins. Of course. He got the hell beat out of him. He was never tough. He could never stand up to his dad. He was an eight-year-old trying to protect his mo- himself and his mother. Never tough enough. What did he become brilliant at? Mental toughness. It's the opposite of the character piece that was missing from his you know, autobiography. And when I work with athletes or VPs in finance or whatever background or a Hollywood writer, whatever they are, I go in and I search for that one missing piece of their character. People will say, I'm not an artist. Everyone's an artist. You just lost that piece of yourself and you let it go. It's still there. We need to create a complete person so we can really excel in life. And so many people are walking around and they're incomplete. And that's why they're not excelling. So the the cert model is a big part of it. And the other part is finding the parts of ourselves that are incomplete and helping us bust through it. So with this, Tim, do you find that people like fight back on this? Um, Cause like, just like trying to think like, it just seems like it would be almost someone's ego or pride might get in the way of something that being like, Oh, I'm not good at X, Y, or Z, or I'm missing this piece of me. Like, yeah. Is this something that people are searching for or is it something that they just kind of f- stumble into? No, they do fight back, sadly, and they they're convinced uh, that they're not that, you know, and, and oh, I, I can't get up early. I'm not an early riser. That's mm. an easy one. I hear a lot, <laughs> um, you know, and it's like, you know, you can I can't I used to seven o'clock was early for me. I can't not get up at four now. I don't even set my alarm. I, I can't, I can't do it. My body just won't let me. And I, I was not an early riser. So there's a Buddhist uh, three pillars of being. One of them is there's no me. And uh, you know, it, it's whatever you are now is just the consequence of your path to that point. And whatever you're going to be a year from now will be the consequence of the path up to that point. So you can alter yourself. Mm. But when I work with athletes, especially who are trying to, you know, hit a podium or something really high level, I find that there's missing pieces. And as coaches, you know this. If you did an analysis of me, you would say, oh, you have weak core or you have weak glutes or your hamstrings are underdeveloped versus your quads. And you're seeing the incomplete parts of my body. Well, we have incomplete parts of ourself. And if you can make that self a more complete self, you will bust through the podium. And I've done this now with, with dozens of people where they busted through stuff and they're doing things that they've always dreamed of doing. They're hitting marks that are just phenomenal. And is that a matter of just 
like seeking it out or like when you say that they find that piece of them, is it just literally the practice of doing it or is it part of like the development and the, the process of becoming better? Like, does this link into cert somehow or is it? Well, it, it's a separate track. It's a parallel track to cert, but the two questions I, I have people do, I would have your listeners do these two answer these two questions and take it seriously. The first question is, what are your coolest aspirations? I don't care if you've ever done it before. I had never done OCR before. What's your coolest aspiration? If you saw a commercial for something, what would make your jaw hit the floor and your eyes light up? Is it being a biologist on Shark Week? Is it being an expert on Mustangs? Uh, Is it OCR? Like, what is the coolest thing? And the second question, and make a list of that and then try to find the one that's coolest. It's usually the opposite of stuff that's missing. The second question to ask yourself is, what were you an outsider um, during childhood or or 20s or 30s? It depends how old you are, right? What were you an outsider on looking in that you just watched other people do and you were just so jealous and so envious that you're not doing that and just those people are so lucky they get to do it what were you an outsider on um and whatever that is that's a missing piece of self that you need to reclaim Hmm. so for me it was athletics even though i had a history of being an athlete the second part of me was i was never that guy who would commit i would only half commit and i knew i need to fully commit to something i've never done that and I was always envious of the people who could commit. Mm. Um, so just those two questions alone will help you to reclaim a part of yourself that's missing. And a whole person will outperform half people. So are people typically missing one of these four things or are there, could there be other things that are kind of oh, related no, the to these four thing things? The third thing is a guarantee. The third thing is like, you got to get in that model. But there are other Not things that, that, model, can be, that can be blocking them other than these cert. Yes. The cert thing is like, that's your, that's what you need to place yourself in every moment. The missing piece, that's a separate thing. You want to try to figure out. The like, second part of it is that missing. Yeah. Okay. So they're not, really, they're not really, they're not really necessarily related. Okay. Yeah. The, the cert model is you, we all need to be in that. The, so, I mean, part of my philosophy, you know, I'm not saying you have to agree or disagree. So am I right in saying that, like, you know, I'm somebody who, let's say I, I'm, I'm somebody who just, like, knows that I, I am made, whether <laughs> I'm just, I feel like I'm made for more, like, what, even just at a very high level, like, accomplishing more, I want to accomplish more, I feel like yeah. I'm struggling, I'm just mm-hmm. stuck in a rut, or... You know, what is the quint? I guess I should really ask you is like, what is the quintessential some person who it sounds like it could be a lot of people, but like, like people that are going to come to you and, and, and look for guidance with this model? Like, where, what does that person look like or where are they? And you know, for some of our listeners that might want to reach out to you, um, like, who do you help? I guess is probably the best way. Yeah. To I mean, I have a VP in a Fortune 100 company I'm helping right now, um, an elite athlete. You know, it, it's, whatever your, your jam is, it's, it's okay. And, and some are really performing at high levels already. I have other people who are just starting out 
And, you know, I'm not going to just work with elites. I mean, that's boring after a while. But the fortune, well, five, but the fortune, the, 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 the gentleman you were talking about or the female yeah. you were talking about, um, they were just struggling. They, they just felt like they hit a ceiling or they did, they just, you know, felt like there was something missing. Yeah. How do they know when they, like, when, when this would work for them? Well, usually someone refers someone to me and they're like, go talk to Tim. Trust me. He knows this stuff. Like you got to go talk to Tim. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Usually it's just someone who's worked with me that they busted through the model worked. We found parts of themselves that was missing, blah, 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 blah. And they had such success that then they refer someone they know that I've never met. That's usually the way it comes. Um, but what we're trying to do is get the model and get this stuff out there. So more people are able to use it because what are the odds someone's going to even know I exist? Right. But if other coaches are using the same model and having these conversations, the, the, here's the, here's the end point that I found is that, and why this is so personally relevant for me is that people who go through the model and people who kind of live inside a certain kind of model or whatever, they change and they add some things and just, you know, whatever model they're using. I find that on the outside of that, people become better humans. They're more likable. They have a bigger impact on the world. They're nicer people. They're contributing more. They give back more. And that's what I'm really excited about is people end up a better person. So however they get to me is how they get to me. Um, But the, the consequence of it is really cool. But I would ask, you know, the, the, you got to build an ear for this. So John, I don't know. Do you want to try it? Well, no, no, I'm certainly intrigued. You know, I'm I'm a I'm a little worried about someone getting under my hood and like, (laughs) right? Look, looking in the looking in my closet, you know. But a little less prying than you think. No, 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 and I I definitely might. I'm I'm probably going to take you up on that because I I think that you know to your point, like these four things, if you focused on them there's nothing bad that's going to come from any of these things. I mean, you look at them like, and at the very least you strengthen those things. There's nothing, there's no way you can look at any of these and say, Hey, look, you know, if I was better at all four of these things, then I'm going to be, like you said, even just at the very um, simple in a very, in the simplest way, like a better person, but like maybe just better at achieving some of these things. But I, I feel like that person who, is goal oriented and knows that they can mold themselves, um, you know, and somebody who maybe is struggling with achieving or these goals that they've had. Um, you know, I'm just, I'm just thinking like the low hanging fruit of the people that you're, that you're like talking that I'm some of the athletes that I'm working with, or, um, you know, if they're struggling in a rut or, you know, that's kind of what I was getting at. Um, but yeah, I mean, at the, at the, the very least, I mean, if you're somebody who is goal goal oriented and has has plans and goals, you know, it seems like some of these things. Um, obviously, you want to you want to work out no matter what. And and with that said, like, what what does it look like? Like, do they call you up and you set up an appointment? Um, and there's, there's like an hour, is there like two or three different hours you talk to them? Like, how, do you send them something a questionnaire? Like, how does it all work? Yeah, cool. So, you know, one thing would be we're, we're going to be pushing content out so that it's freely accessible because the point is to make better people. The point isn't to 
you know, there's no profit directive here. So we're going to put, put as much free content as we can out there. Um, and that'll be easily accessible. The second tier would be, you know, and that's like akin to you want to get in shape, go to a group workout class, like mm -hmm. just start learning stuff. Right. Um, the second tier would be get some coaching. So, you know, the second yeah. tier would be a two session model. Let's introduce cert. Let's, let's make sure you have some understanding of it. I'm going to walk you through the missing piece of self exercise. We're going to come back, review it and kind of build an aspiration. And that's not going to be very intense. You know, it was not going to cost you much money. I under sell myself anyway. Um, and that would be probably two sessions and you're going to take yeah. that so far. Right. And then the, the full blown model would be, you're going to do a more intense kind of journaling at the end of every week. And, and, I'm going to give you feedback. You're at a cert here. You're, you're inside cert here. Um, you got to reframe, you know, I would suggest reframing that towards process, not outcome. Um, and really working with securing the right aspiration that fits for them personally within their autobiographical history. And once they get that, that's when the magic really starts happening. It, it's, it's so cool. And, yeah. and you can do that too. You don't, that's the thing is anyone can do this and learn this. It, you don't have to be me or you don't have to be a psychologist. You don't have to have a PhD in psychology. Uh, you just have to start knowing what you're looking for. And Tim, really fast. That's something that I do know of you. Like you mentioned, you have a good ear for this, right? And mm -hmm. if people were to do this on their own, say, well, I don't know who's listening now since you're on the podcast. I don't know who's going to be listening to the very end. But if someone's <laughs> listening to the very end um, and wants to kind of do this and like figure out how they can go through this process and pick this out of themselves, like what kind of things would you hear from people that you'd be like that you would grab or that you would stop them and be like, OK, let's explore this a little bit more. Like, are there overarching themes in that or does it depend on the person? Yeah, I mean, there's not as unique as we all are. We're kind of also very similar you know mm. people we're humans with human physiology so you do start knowing there's kind of some themes there but overall i think the magic question is what were you an outsider in grow you know somewhere in your lifetime that you just remember being a total outsider on and you wish you weren't um and that's going to be meaningful um and it's a great starting point so if you just always admired athletes and you were always wishing you could be more athletic, that's meaningful. Now you might suck at athletics, but if you commit to four years, you'd be amazed at the kind of athlete you're going to be, you know, stuff like that. And now you're becoming a full person. So I would just listen for what were you an outsider on? That, that's reclaim that. And it takes the courage to reclaim that because you definitively know you're not that. But you're not not that. You just haven't become it yet. Reclaim it. And that, like, when we worked through this together a little bit, the way you, the language, the way we spoke about it was like, what is, what do you think is like the coolest thing on earth? Right. Mm -hmm. And like, because like I almost have that like clinch about like an outsider or missing piece, I'm like, I'm good. Nothing. 
it's fine. Yeah. But then when you're like, when, when you're like, Oh, what is really cool to you? I'm like, Oh, like this is really cool. And, mm-hmm. um, so that was also kind of like a real like shift um, because I did feel I got jammed up. When you say cool, is it something like you're really, really interested in? Like, like if I, if I wanted to be a rock star and play the, you know, play the guitar in a rock band, like do I all of a sudden then say, all right, well, that's what I want. I suppose that's what I should commit to the next four years. Cause that's technically the coolest thing. Or- I, I had a guy, I didn't, you know, I worked with them, but it wasn't this intense multi-year thing, but it was that. He's a 46-year-old teacher in a public school, and he had always thought his effing cool was like being a guitar or a drummer. And I'm like, dude, you're going to take two years. You're going to commit to this commitment. He did. He has a garage band working. They, they play out now at bars. And I can't tell you how happy he is, how <laughs> full, of, full of life and joy he is. Cause he reclaimed this thing that he thought couldn't be. And, and he's a more complete person and he's doing his job better. I mean, the, the results are phenomenal, but it, yeah, it, it took a process. It's kind of a thing like the ship raises with the tide. Is that the expression? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All ships raise. Yeah. All ships. Raise. So are there people who have the wrong aspirations and the wrong goals? I mean, then they're just taking, taking the wrong who, things. They chase talent. They chase what they're good at. They're trying to find the thing they're good at instead of claiming an aspiration and dedicating yourself to it. I, I sucked at OCR. I didn't claim, I didn't find something I'm good at. There's a, there's a line from Avid Brothers, you probably know, that says, decide what to be and go be it. Yeah, that's a good That's thing. it, man. Decide what to be and go be it. Mm-hmm. If you want to be a fast motherfucker, then go and be a fast yeah, so, dude. And that but, kind of that, that kind of brings me to like my and I don't know if we have time for this, and this might be a whole other podcast. But one of the things I'm the most, I think that uh, that, that's the hardest thing for me to wrap my head around. And again, I said to you the other day, I was like, I don't think this really has any bearing on the how positive this could be on your um, progress toward, towards a goal or an aspiration, but the idea of talent and, yeah, um, you know, like, and I, I've just been running it through in my head just trying to, to, and I come up with these examples. I'm like, well, you have somebody who, you know, does that mean that anyone on the face of the earth, if they had the right process and cert um, would be able to run, two hours and 10 minute marathon or so no. So or what, you or, do, what you need to do like is there's no limitations at all. Well, there are, you need to find, make sure someone has done that. So a five foot four guy has run a, a two or three marathon and a six foot four guy has run a two or three marathon. Yeah. So I know height isn't a variable. Yeah. You're not going to find a five, a four foot eight person in the NBA. You're not going to find a, a NFL linebacker at five foot two, you know, Physics matter in some sports more than others. Uh, so if physics doesn't matter, then you, it's game on. Um, now, if you don't have perfect pitch by the age of six, you can't get it. You know, it, 
Arnold Schwarzenegger still speaks with an Austrian accent and he was governor of California um, <laughs> because he didn't pick up English early enough to not have that accent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So th there are some things. If you practice tennis before the age of 10 to an elite level, your bone density and your dominant arm is 20% more than your non-dominant arm. And you can't get that kind of bone density if you start tennis after the age of 10. That is not nature, but it looks like nature. Mm -hmm. But it ends up being nature because you did it at such an early age. So there are some things. I yeah. at 50, there's no 50 year old that's run a sub five minute, sub four minute mile. Yeah. It hasn't happened. So as far as mm -hmm. I know, a 50 year old can't do that. Yeah. No. And, and I, I tried to run it through and like, I kind of came to, I kind of landed on and came, came to peace with is the idea that, you know, not only do you respect knowledge, not talent, but, you, the part that I kind of added to that was that you need to realize that the talent that you don't know what your limitation is, like, or if there are these limitations. And I think that that's probably in all of this, as I'm running through is probably because all this, like, I think if you had all this in place, I can totally see how you'd just be in a better place. But I think that talent part is always going to be the one thing. And maybe it's me just personally that I'm going to be that's going to be the, the, the one thing that's kind of like open, open-ended, if you may, yeah. you know, like you just don't, and it comes down to like setting that goal. Like, am I setting my goals high enough? Am I really, yeah. really like challenging myself enough? You know, if that is something that you're looking to do, um, like for you is top 50, like, was that really the, is that like, you maybe you just picked it maybe and there's nothing wrong with that right like you're just like hey look you know here i am i want to get the top 50 um did you i meant top, are you as the, top in, among the 50 year olds oh top that was my top 50 year old oh okay top 50 year old okay and there's a guy out in california who who has he can beat me right now my goal is to beat him you know um, so your goal is to be the top yeah. Okay. I sorry. Yeah. I misunderstood you in the beginning there. Sorry. Yeah. My my goal is to compete at worlds and and be the top fifty year old. And if he if he has a better process than me and he beats me, then then I tip my cap to him and say you had a better process. But I'm not going to sit there and and say you're more talented than me because I don't mm -hmm. have. Who knows? How do you know that? You know, as much as we argue about talent. How do you know that person is more talented? You can't prove it or disprove it. Well, there's people I've been around, and that's where I think I've been around this too long, that I think it's probably harder for me, like in this sport, where I've seen people that are just clearly more talented than me, just because I know everything they're doing in their life. And their mm -hmm. process is definitely not better than mine, <laughs> right? And they're smacking me around. So I, I, think, that's I, really where, I think that's really where it's hard for me to kind of, you know, um, grapple with that, but I, I hear you. I'm not trying to sway you on it. However, I would say you ultimately can't confirm or deny your hypothesis. So mm -hmm. your hypothesis is they're more talented, but since you can't confirm or deny it, why the hell are you wasting time on it? Because you don't know. Yeah, no, it's just fr you have no frustrating. As, 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 just frustrating. Some of the more frustrating experiences of my life um, <laughs> came, came with that where, <laughs> um, you know, I've seen people go up against David Goggins talks about taking souls. I love that concept, but he's I've great. seen people go up against more talented people and you find a way to take their soul and they go down. 
Yeah. And suddenly now what? I do now know that. Talented, like, yeah. I do. It, I, I do see that element of it, and that's why I think it's exciting, and I do understand the concept of it and the idea of it that you need to respect the idea of knowledge over talent, not necessarily mm-hmm. deny that it's there. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's fine. I mean, I think there are those who would argue against it, but yeah, no, that that's, that's the hard. And look, it's, it's totally fine. If, if, if you don't just, um, look, I just, again, like I said, like, I think that it's a conversation for a different time. And I think it's a really interesting topic. And I think it goes to maybe like down the road, we can have another, we could have you back on to talk about goal setting, um, you know, as you launch this and maybe circle back. Cause I think that that really is like, I think at the heart of the matter is like, you know, that one is like, especially looking at talent, like what's, what's a realistic goal for me? Um, as opposed to just like, you know, throwing something out there and just because it sounds good. Um, what would be a fun one is if you brought 10 guests on and each of them, I found the missing element of self. <laughs> and, and you watch them bust through it. It's really inspiring. And and it's not freaky. You're not going into childhood abuse or something. Like you, you don't need to go to to these things that you don't want to disclose to the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um it's not so like invasive. But it's so inspiring when people start reclaiming elements of themselves that they barely are aware they, they let go of and they suddenly integrate it back in. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's amazing. And you can do it. I can do it in five minutes with someone. It's, it's quick. It's kind of cool. Um, mm. If you're listening and asking just simple questions and you can ask yourself those questions, but it does, you know, I've, I've gained an ear for it. It's like a musician has an ear for music and they can pick up notes and blah, blah, blah. And they do it quickly. Right. So I'm going to be quicker at it more, you know, I'm going to be faster at it than you all would be because I've been doing it for 20 years. Yeah. But it doesn't mean you can't do it. It just means you're going to kind of bumble a little more. Yeah. We should, we should all go through the process and then, then we'll double back and see how, how it's going. See how, how see how we're holding to, holding to cert and for being true to our aspirations and everything. And that would be an excellent time to have you back. But, um, yeah, Tim, man, this was great. This was awesome. Very cool. So much good uh, value here for anybody. Like you said, it doesn't have to be OCR related or running related. It's just anything that can help you perform better to be a better human. And I, I totally stand behind this concept. Cool. Thanks. Um, and we haven't even gotten into any of the neurobiomechanics, which is also a very cool thing. And well, people with, love that. With that said, you're going to be putting the content out out there on yeah. that stuff, and we'll keep an eye on it. So, um, yeah, what, how 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 can we find that content? How can we find you? And what's uh what's a good way to stay in touch? Yeah, right now it's just my email, Timothy Silvestri at Gmail. Uh, you're and my website is going to be revamped. It's it's still my old website from my private practice. So, TimothySilvestri.com, but you're, it's just a basic therapy website. It's not the CERT model or any of that. So a lot of that content is going to this spring, uh, summer going to be updated. So right now, if you're you're really wanting to get some info, you don't you don't have to like hire me. 
I'm happy to answer questions. No, but you said like you're going to be putting some of this content out yeah. there. Is there going to be like a blog, like a, a video blog, like all this stuff? You plan on doing some more content um, via social media and 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 whatnot come the spring. Yeah, and that's where Kim Kelty's really helping me pump it out on social media and and YouTube videos. And because the, the point is, and when we talk about depression, especially like people are literally dying and. They just don't know the neurobiomechanics. Uh, suicidologists, for example, who study this, they just they found that depression or that suicide very often is fatigue, and depression is exhausting. But we keep linking it to depression when it's actually like you're so exhausted by whatever you just can't imagine continuing. And so these are game changers. These these are things that need to get out there that people could live better and, and not have tragedy yeah. happen. Someone once said so to me, I don't yeah, that, I, someone once said to me, um, I don't know who it was, but like they said, you know, you come home at night and you're tired and you, you're really, basically they were saying like, you come, when you come home at night, you're not tired. You're just uninspired, you know, like mm-hmm. and it's just like this whole connection between you just being like, you know, and, and the idea was like, you know, depression is kind of connected with that kind of, like that flow between, you know, exhaustion, depression, and just being uninspired about something like kind of like you're saying about aspirations. And, and uh, so I, I'd love to le- learn more about it. I'm sure our listeners would as well. And, and, and we'll be sure to share, um, maybe have you back when you do make your launch or, or at the very least, like share with uh, the reinforced running on the reinforced running, running page um, where they can see some of this content. Cause I know people are going to want to, learn more about it. And you said it's Timothy Sil- Silvestri at Gmail. Yeah. That's okay. my email. Cool. And I, yeah. I'm always happy to answer questions as much as I can get some good info out there. And then, you know, for coaches, it's like start trying to think about ways that you can create a workout that forges trust hmm. rather than just building a faster, more enduring runner. I've already started like to that. do it. I, I gave in this past year. I started doing more marathon pacing workouts because physiologically it really does nothing for you. Mm-hmm. But like a chunk of like six miles at their goal pace was just something that I realized I had to start throwing in there for certain people because they just weren't going to go to the starting line and feel comfortable about it without actually doing at least a chunk of that pace. Yeah. Um, and there is value, obviously value in that. So um, Yeah, because there's I, a mind here. It's not just muscles, yeah. you know, and your mind is what's going to stop you. And so whatever it is that you, you need to trust more of, find it and start sharpening it. So that you, so the idea of trust, just to leave it on this is, you know, you, you no longer are facing an option to slow down because you know, you've done it mm-hmm. and you trust it. So trust isn't like believe in yourself. It's, it's deeper than that, but that's just part of, you know, that's just one of the cert. Um, and, and it all kind of circles back all, it, it's all mutually inclusive. So. But Hey, I really appreciate you having yeah, me on. Um, you guys are great uh, and very gracious. Certainly I, I, I'm nowhere near on par with your previous guests and all, but uh, you know, to just take a different angle like this and um it's just really cool and fun. So I, I can't thank you all enough.
All right.